Welcome to the Eastern Approaches podcast hosted by me, Alex Thompson. And today I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming to this podcast for the first time, somebody who works in the public broadcasting of one of the European countries and EU member states, and indeed NATO member states, namely Estonia. I'm joined by Andrew White from the English Midlands, who is uh, in the media in the ERR public broadcasting system of Estonia. That's Esti Rahvusring Herling, or Estonian Public Broadcaster, which is a merger of the formerly separate TV and radio outfits uh, as of 2007. Andrew, welcome all the way there from Hi. sweltering Tallinn, where it's yep. 98 degrees Celsius today. That's right, yeah. Never experienced. I've been here about 12 years. I don't remember it sort of coming into the second half of August when it's been like this. And of course, the buildings aren't kind of built for hot weather. They're built for cold weather, um, especially in the city. And uh, we've got all the sort of the same as everywhere, the, the, the worry about what's going to happen in the winter with the energy bills and so on. But right now, it still seems still seems fairly abstract in that sense. People will so, be intrigued to know, Andrew, what took you to Estonia the least populous member of the European Union with barely a million people, a very distinctive country and culture, very similar to Scandinavian and particularly fin Finnish culture, more than any kind of uh, Soviet vestiges that it has. Uh, it's often associated with people with being a uh, tech giant uh, and being extremely highly competent in English and digital skills. Uh, was it that kind of prospect that lured you to Estonia or was it more of the old fashioned interest in broadcasting? Uh, neither really. Um, I was actually in in Lithuania originally. I was in Lithuania for about two years before I was here uh, teaching English and I transferred to the, the language school I was working at at the time had uh, offices in all three Baltic capitals and uh, I'd been to Tallinn, I'd been to Pärnu I think was the first which is a resort town in the southwest of Estonia. Um, quite liked it, transferred thinking I'd be here six months a year teaching English and that was about 12 years ago now. Um, the sort of tech side is, isn't a, wasn't a huge draw but it was quite interesting and, and I'd heard just by word of mouth that oh it's excellent you can there's wi-fi everywhere this is when wi-fi was a new thing um, and you can do everything in five minutes etc so so that was a sort of not a deciding factor but helped along the way um, then I was working as a copywriter for quite a few years, kind of various uh, marketing, copywriting jobs, teaching English, as I say. I started working for ERR uh, just over four years ago. And have you stayed in one position, Andrew, or have you changed? At ERR? No, yeah. I was, yeah, I was, I was, um, I was, had a management position most of the time until comparatively recently, and I'm, I'm now a sort of, straightforward journalist and uh, it's quite nice just to be a news editor and not have any management responsibilities anymore we're a very small team with with six people um out of a sort of 700 strong organization so are you mostly correcting and editing english language copy which is going no. to internationals we do do quite a lot of that but i'd say it's about 60 percent translating about sixty percent of the output, maybe a bit more, in a in a typical day, would be translating, and then there would be uh, copy editing stuff. Then, of course, 
when we get time, there'll be own generated things as well, um, bits and pieces of news and features and so on. Are you but finding that, the pinch that's all over the Western world now um, that people in journalism can't get from behind their desks as often to go sleuthing their own stories? I mean, I've only ever known that situation. Um, so, so, but yes, um, uh, I'm sure you, part of that is you, you have to be that kind of a, a, a journalist and I'm, I'm not really that kind of a, a, I don't have that much of an investigative bent. I do have it, but I don't, don't have it as much as some people. Um, but yeah, very desk bound and you, you, you sort of sometimes have to push for, for getting out and about, but it is, it is, uh, there is scope for that. And getting out and about in Estonia is considerable distances for quite a compact country. It's got very, very low population density. It's always struck me on my visits. Of course, I said a moment ago it had the lowest population, uh, but that's neither true of the EU nor of NATO if you count the island nations. Malta right. has fewer people and uh, Iceland is a, is a NATO member with fewer yeah. people than um, yeah. Estonia, but barely a million people. And very, very clustered in, as you said, uh, the couple of cities that you mentioned, Tallinn, Pernu, Second City, Tartu, Narva, those those four is pretty much mm -hmm. half the country, isn't it? You can go for mm -hmm. miles without coming across a car. Yeah. To get used to? Um, it's nice. It's nice being able to do. We were talking about this just the other day, driving for a few kilometres, and we're not that, we were out in the countryside, but not far from Tallinn, and not see any cars for, for a little while. Um, the mainland, I suppose, it's only probably about four hours maximum would be the furthest you could drive um, point to point. But they have fairly large islands. Uh, Sarema is the biggest one. Actually, literally means island land. Um, and that kind of boosts the, the, the size of the, of, the, of the country, almost doubles it really in, in terms of journey times. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a bit like Britain in the sense that it looks very small on a map, but getting around is is a bit a bit more involved but in different ways it's more so you, pleasant you've lived here. in the the southernmost of the three baltic republics yeah. and then the, the northernmost and yeah. these are the two most different ones and uh, estonia yeah. and lithuania i think it's fair to say neither of them uh really likes being called a baltic republic the latvians will go with that because they don't really have many other layers to their identity but the estonians often would prefer to be thought of as Scandinavians or Finno-Ugrics because of their ethnic background. The, Latvia, the Lithuanians uh, had this glorious past in the Polish Commonwealth and seem to think of themselves more as Central European and a Catholic country. Um, but and no doubt you've been through Latvia and compared the three. Uh, mm -hmm. What stands out? Because these are three small countries nervously mm -hmm. on the Russian border, but they have different approaches. And particularly, I think it's fair to say that the Estonians make more noise the current Prime Minister, Kaya Kallas, for example, with her tweets is uh, is being even ruder to the Russians than the Latvians are, which takes some doing. So how would you account for that? Well, um, always the sort of stereotype would be the Estonians were, were, the, were the quietest of the three. But, but, but as you say, in recent times, that, that's kind of that trend has been bucked. Um, Latvia, I, I mean, linguistically, we put Latvia and Lithuania together. They are they speak both the two Baltic, the two extant Baltic languages. They're sort of not really mutually intelligible in the spoken form, but they're, they are quite similar. And as you say, the, the Finno-Ugric languages would be, the main ones are Estonian and Finnish. And they're also not quite mutually intelligible, but a lot of 
Estonians can understand Finnish quite well, especially in Tallinn. Um, so that's but, perhaps part of it then already that through the Soviet occupation, although of course, and, and we are being technically accurate there because no, no Western country accepted that the three Baltic publics were validly part of the Soviet Union, it was an occupation. Um, mm -hmm. People were kept away from the coast unless they had fishing permits, um, mm -hmm. but they still were able to receive fi Finnish TV from Helsinki over the bay and understand it pretty well. Yeah, yeah, entirely. That, that contributed to a, a much more Western and particularly think, Scandinavian view. I think so, yeah, and, the and also the fact it, it's a, it has a long coastline, and although it was he extremely heavily guarded, um, there's still ports and so on, and there's still sort of a, sort of a little um, bit of fresh air, as it were, coming in, in from the West throughout that that time. So I think during the Soviet time, they did sort of sort of quote unquote play at, at, at being a kind of um, uh, Western European type country, insofar as you could you could manage more than the other two did, and and yes, that's right. The, the Finnish TV was uh, was could just be received. For, I mean, it's illegal to receive it, but there was nothing really the authorities could do, um, and that would account for Finnish and also English, because Finnish TV would have carried a lot of you know, had, I believe they had Dynasty and um, and Night Rider and things like that. So. People learn to speak uh, both English and Finnish that way a lot of the time. So yes, I think I think it, it, it's proximity to. I mean, you think how far Lithuania might be. It's got um, the whole of Poland to the west, um, and then Belarus to the east, and so on, and a very short coastline. Um, used and to be of course an, an exclave of Russia to its southwest, about Kaliningrad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fairly hemmed in. And Estonia didn't 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 have that, that at all, kind of the other way around, and as as ever, Latvia in the middle. But um, with that but, low yeah. population density and these inhabited islands that you mentioned, Hiumaa, Saimaa, mm -hmm. and the smaller ones, there's yeah. a much greater sense of personal freedom. I would say in, in all my visits to Estonia, that struck me. People do feel that they are lord of the manor where they are, or perhaps that's too too arrogant a, a phrase to use because there's this reticence about being in large crowds with the Estonians, isn't there? Their idyll is pretty much to be on their own with the, the family in the woods, at least part of the year. Yeah, um, I mean, the, 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 the large crowds, as you know, they do come together at least every five years with the, the quinquennial song festival, the Laulupidu, um, which even Barack Obama referenced when he, he came here a few years ago. Um, I so, sang in so, it as a guest in 2014, yes. and uh, yeah. President Ilves gave the speech as he always does, and it, yeah. I think it's the same every five years, but the President basically opens it in his costume, and something like a quarter of the national population is in the audience in that stadium, yeah. and a tenth of the population is on stage singing at one stage, and the President says something like, very laconic and Estonian, well, here you all are, we are still yeah. singing, that must mean we're still here. We're still here, yeah, absolutely. That's their attitude. Um, one of yeah. the songs we sang actually um, in the 2014 Laulu composed for that occasion, I think, was uh, a song about having been chased by these Tatar hordes from east to west, the movement of the Finno-Ugric peoples. And there was a line about, well, here we are with our backs to the sea, um, oh. the Baltic, that is, and, and we, we haven't any further to, to flee, so we'd better turn and stand our ground. Hmm. So okay. there's, there's this grittiness uh, yes. alongside the, 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 the Pacific nature that they have. Yeah, and there is a kind of east coast uh, in effect as well with the um, Papsi Gap, Lake, yes. Lake, Lake Pipus, it would be in English, where the famous battle in um, uh, Alexander Nevsky's time, I think it was 1242. and, 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 and uh, the World's biggest battle fought on the ice, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. I think and it since was... that the time, the mythology 
dominant in Estonia, or the legend has been that the Russians didn't bring us much good. But a few Estonian intellectuals have admitted to me that probably most of the Christianization and some of the literacy that came to Estonia came from the East, even before right. the Teutonic Knights, who were the Catholic oh, Crusaders, got, got there. Right, right. Okay, okay. Yeah, so it seems to suggest that fourth largest lake um so it, it's it's much bigger than i don't know loch ness or somewhere but um but uh but yeah um so yeah getting the big crowd in one place it, it, it's sort of a bit more disciplined shall we say than most of our mass events <laughs> that's probably yes people tidy up after themselves yeah. very very strong uh, uh ethnocentric sentiment really yeah. it's one, one big family but yes. well, that, that takes us on to discussing the media, because in, in a country that I don't mean this negatively, but that is so clannish, uh, that is one big family, media, I presume, is going to have more of the, uh, how shall we say, the, uh, the, the village feel to it in the nicest possible sense than it would do in other countries. I would think so, yeah. Um, in, in the period of Perestroika, obviously, uh, there, was, there was a huge... Um, 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 proliferation of, of you know everybody was a was a was a journalist for a bit I think during that time and that kind of phenomenon carried on and there's been more consolidation over the years even over the last few years so so there's us and then there's two big private media groups that, which are I think there's yeah they're still more or less Estonian owned and and, and another which is Scandinavian owned and this has happened uh, in all sectors, hasn't it? Because famously, there's no Estonian banks, just as in Belgium, actually. Uh, they've lost. Well, there there's is very now, few, shall we say? Very few, yeah. The two, the two, two, the two biggest ones are Scandinavian owned. There's there's a, a couple of homegrown ones, yeah. Um, but uh, as to the media, yeah, it's it sort of it's sort of clannish, but it but it's but it's not a closed shop either. And 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 I think that if you were to to find out the proportion of like the ratio of of uh people overall to journalists in britain would be much higher than estonian in in estonia lots and lots of people become journalists and then go on to something else or indeed become novelists i think that's the something the estonians and other nordic peoples like the icelanders are famous for everyone thinks they've got a book in them yeah often yeah publishing industry here's another thing yeah they're, they're these sort of nicely um produced hardback books um which yeah a lot of people do do end up writing something there aren't i mean there aren't that many from from this sort of um uh, emigre or the expat community here but there have been one or two also there so presentation very much presentation based and that's one thing i would put i would say that estonia is similar to the other two baltic states and other places in central eastern Europe, the kind of style, not over content, but um, focusing on style. Yes, uh, the visuals. Fine. Yeah. And this Visual. is perhaps spilled over to the to the rhetoric against Russia as well. There's there's a sense in which it's it's not quite tongue in cheek, but it, it's meant to be taken with a pinch of salt, isn't it? Um yes, and I think it's also it's also uh, you, you would hear something that's maybe slightly different from the domestic what you would hear on the domestic front, but then necessarily because the the premise is that people in the West don't have a clue about any of this, and that's not com complete um, misconception at all. Um, so there is there is there is some bluster, yeah, I would say so. Um, so let's, and you let's, 
let's go into that. Sorry, you you were about to say something else, but I'm I'm intrigued. Prime Minister and and um, and, uh, and all her appearances, and apparently this is the source is actually the government office, but anyway, she's appeared eleven thousand times in the. And, and I assume they mean her name has has appeared eleven thousand times in the international media, and that would predominantly mean the U.S. and the U.K., but also Germany. Germany has quite a big um, uh, chunk of that, and and I think that's all down to them having excellent an excellent network of, of stringers and so on to account for. I mean, the, the the Lithuanian prime minister now also has quite a high profile. Uh, the Latvian Prime Minister, not so much, um, but but you know she's been in all of the big publications uh, in the English language, or most of them, FT, Bloomberg, BBC, uh, etc. So I put it down to just a, a superb network of of people, and and it goes the same with business and startups. There's a something called the Estonian Mafia, and it's it's not really the mafia. It's um, I mean, you mentioned Ilves, he's very much a part of that. It's a sort of tech um, uh, cheerleading group, really. And some of them are in, in, in Silicon Valley and, and places like that. And they've got some very um, hard old neocons uh, supporting them to the hilt, haven't they? Edward Lucas, who uh, Lucas celebratedly is... became the first e-citizen when they rolled out the digital it's... citizenship agenda, yeah. and Applebaum, who's... Uh, I think her own claim would be she, she's the world expert on on the, the victims of communism, but with a particular ideological axe to grind about contemporary cool. Russia as well. Um, yeah, Edward Lucas. Um, yeah, he's he, he was here sort of from from the get go. That's another another important thing. But um, another uh, Gideon Rackman of the FT. He pops up quite a lot as well. And and this Carlos, she didn't just come from nowhere either. The last president. Uh, Kirsty Kalulide was was sort of in the same mold in that, that she was able to get lots and lots of uh, foreign media appearances, much more than Latvia, Lithuania. So let's dig down into that because you spend your time perusing what the Estonians are writing in their own language, in their own press. Mm -hmm. um, what are the eyebrow raising differences between uh, geopolitical reporting for domestic consumption and what Estonian writers will produce for a foreign audience? Um, so I think um, almost, the, the, I mean, I said that the message was slightly different, but 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 almost in a way it, it raises my eyebrows a bit anyway, that, that, that there are kind of um, these statements made, which are just, just, just taken as well. You've got to you've got to believe us because you don't know you don't know anything about this region. You just got to listen to us, and this is how it is. Um, I mean, this happens in the, the domestic media as well, but there's much more of a kind of well, it's a hive mind, and uh, uh, we know you know you just have to mention somebody's name, and we know what you're talking about. And there's not that much context for incidents put into a lot of domestic pieces. Because because the assumption is everybody knows. It, it's quite a terse style anyway that the Estonians have, so they, they'll allude to things. I mean, you will sometimes see things like, um, well, well, the, the Jews think this and so on. And and obviously, if, if we came across that, we'd probably change it a little bit. But um, it, it, it's not, as you say, it's just a terse uh, 
registered it's not meant malevolently i don't think think they've made great strides i think in reconciling with the very substantial russian uh, minority which correct me if i'm wrong it's somewhere up to 40 percent isn't it and in latvia even higher um it's not no i think it's it's maybe 40 percent in tallinn um it's more like 25 26 something like that percent in in nation but a very substantial minority Yes, uh, and and the big story that's going on at the moment, to go back to your your point about the differences of presentation, um, is is a ongoing saga of a, a tank T thirty four, probably a replica. Actually, I don't think it. I mean, maybe it's a, a hodgepodge of of the original chassis and so on, and and then something made of lighter material making up the turret or whatever. But there's a a T thirty four style um, tank monument just outside Narva, which is the border city. It's on the eastern uh, border with Russia. Um, and um, they want the, the state wants to remove it um, as a, a symbol of glorifying Soviet militarism and in the current context. As with but, the statue uh, of the Red Army soldier right there on the, uh, the main hill. Yeah, in Tali, which made... a massive hacking attack and a huge protest. Yes, and they're really, really trying to avoid a repeat of it's called bronze soldier night and that's the thing they're trying to get away from happening again and, and i think it's 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 sort of um the, the the state kind of or the government kind of um fudged it a little bit because they said well if there are no that basically the legislation was if there was a civil law um uh, place like most of continental europe um and and the current law was if um if one of these Soviet era monuments, which have somehow survived, there are loads and loads of them that just nobody's really paid that much attention to in the last 30 years, apart from the bronze soldier. Um, if one of these monuments uh, didn't have human remains as kind of an integral part of the site, then this was a matter for local government. And if it did have uh, human remains, if it did have, have um, war graves and so on, then it was a matter for the state. So the government kind of kind of passed the buck on it a bit and I think that would have been really with Narva in mind and the easternmost parts of the country in mind um but um they're now it's now anyway been parlayed up to a kind of national crisis really um and uh yeah so that's just an example I, I haven't seen that many foreign media reports on it but the things that I do see the BBC and so on are a bit kind of they really do sort of um uh over dramatize it shall we say well an example might be the other end of the border uh the southern end where there was uh an Estonian I think police intelligence officer is probably the best description who was whisked over to the Russian side a couple of years ago um, yeah. Yes, this this was somewhat inflated in the telling as if it were a latter-day Venlo incident, you know, with the MI6 officers being whisked off to Nazi Germany on the eve of the yeah. Second World War. Uh, but there yeah. was there, there was it's pretty unclear, isn't it, what was really going on there? Yes, uh there there were there this was before I was at ERI, but as I remember, there were there were that part of the border is just not very clearly demarcated. If you follow Google Maps. You could accidentally, uh, at least in theory, you could accidentally cross the border, I would think, down there, at least until recently. And they're building up the border infrastructure with with kind of fencing and so on. Um, and this this crisis or this this 
what we saw in the media anyway in the, the Belarusian border last year, I guess, concentrated mines there too. But yeah, it's not entirely clear. He was in a kind of no man's land, I think. And um, and uh, whether the, the the real question is whether they FSB crossed over into Estonian territory or not. And I don't think anybody anybody can prove one way or another. Something about a big area of sand and there were footprints in the sand that showed that they did or something like that. Sounds very spooky now, stuff. Yeah, without a clear sort of fence. If it's just a tangle of forest and it's actually a 100 meter stretch of road which um, it, it starts off uh, in Estonian territory and ends up in Estonian territory, but about 100 metres of it's in Russian territory down in that neck of the woods. And apparently, you know, you, you can't stop or you can't uh, do anything. you just got to drive straight on. I don't know what happens if, if the car breaks down, but uh, there are little anomalies like that, you know. And that brings us on to the related matter of NATO's presence in Estonia. Mm -hmm which we'll mm -hmm. try to cover briefly, but we can't avoid it because that's what a lot of people know about Estonia now, is that Britain has, are we allegedly calling it a battalion on, on Rumung in Estonia uh, at Tapa? There's a very uh, elastic definition of battalion these days. The Estonians themselves have picked up on this and said what, what you have stationed is not nearly enough to deter the Russians. But the, Britain's, the British army has been in Tapa for, what is it now, five years? Five years, yeah, five and a half years. Uh, followed the Warsaw Summit of 2016 and became a reality fairly soon after that. And it was, as you say, battalion level. I mean, that depended on, they tended to be um, heavy infantry units. Um, and there's been such a big reorganization of the, the, the British Army with all the defense cuts that I, I can't remember what all the regiments are now. There was one Yorks, which I think is the Yorkshire Regiment. and, and the rifles, I can't remember who the rifles used to be, but, but one of their, they had a battalion. Um, but since uh, February, they've, uh, what they decided to do was there was already, it was actually, you know, I think it was a, the Royal Tank Regiment, so it was a squadron that they would have. And the incoming, uh, they were supposed to rotate, but they just stayed on. And then the incoming battalion uh, joined them. So it sort of, doubled in size roughly to two battalions and I think they added another thousand so in terms of numbers of people there are about used to be about 800 I suppose so a battalion's what, 400 or something but there would be all the support elements so in the region of 800 and it's now probably over 2,000 which uh, compare compare that with the British army of the Rhine or something numbers is is not so big um but yeah, that's that's the the state of affairs at Tupper, and they're joined by personnel from a couple of other NATO member states, namely Denmark and France. As regards and, the, the sympathy towards the Ukrainians, which is of course understandably overwhelming, at least among the ethnic Estonian three quarters of the the country, uh, and perhaps among the Slavic quarter as well, given that some of them are of Esto of Ukrainian descent who came mm -hmm. in the Brezhnev era. H how? Um, visceral is the feeling are there people saying uh that they would be prepared to go to war with russia in their own right uh in order to safeguard ukraine or to stop any further advance west or are they rather more phlegmatic than that well it's a bit more uh let's it, the the big push is let's get aid to ukraine um i think there have been volunteers that no doubt there have been people uh, from estonia who've gone and served in the azov battalion or, or whatever i mean i i don't really know him, but I met a guy a while ago who who had done that since 2014, a Swedish uh, Swedish expat. But um, 
there's a lot of well there was when when this started a lot of let, let's let's get the aid sent over there really um and you mentioned the expat of course a goodly chunk of the estonians who've come back since 1991 independence had been in sweden finland or canada for two generations which made them even more anti-russian perhaps than the background population in estonia uh yeah but there's also particularly with the sort of north american component of the of the they're called valises the the foreign estonians if you like um yes i suppose so that they, they, they see things more in black and white and they they see estonia itself in more more um in warmer sort of more sentimental terms than the home estonians generally do um the the sort of home estonians relationship with with the russian population is extremely complex and nuanced um you know the same person who was uh saying some sort of not very complimentary things about russians one one minute is quite happy to then go and speak russian to somebody and if if the situation arises so i as an outsider i don't quite have a handle on that um and but yeah, you feel... I, it's more dried in, in the 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 emigre population. Yeah, definitely. Do you feel you have a handle on the Estonians' view of COVID, or has that remained mysterious, living in their midst? Um, uh, no, COVID was COVID was fairly straightforward. I think um, uh, sort of whatever was happening in Britain and wherever happened here in a kind of in a, in a fashion cash had al almost disappeared anyway before oh, COVID. Uh, yeah yeah that's a yeah cash is is uh people do people do use it um but but they it tends to be looked on as a bit of kind of well you're only using it if you've got paid cash in hand or you don't have a bank account or whatever but yeah yeah that's that's another another thing um but in terms of restrictions and and so on compared with what I was hearing from Britain, you know, it, 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 we got off fairly, fairly lightly and fairly easily here. At one point, I think it did have the highest rate in, or supposedly the highest rate, reportedly the highest rate in Europe, certainly. I don't know if it was the whole world, certainly Europe. Um, Given liberty in COVID, I suppose the last mm -hmm. question has to be media freedom in Estonia. For you personally and your colleagues and those you see mm -hmm. in the private sector of the media, uh, mm -hmm. somewhat better than Britain, perhaps? Um, with the caveat that I've not worked in the news media in Britain, um, I, in the day-to-day, -day, I would say, I mean, I, I get very little input interference in, in what I have to do. Um, uh, it's only really if something goes wrong that you, you hear anything, and that, that, that doesn't happen all that often, thankfully. Um, I've I'd spoken to... Funnily, it was funnily enough. It was with NATO. They always have an embedded, embedded uh, press person, and I think they were actually military, but they don't need to be. And this guy had worked for the BBC, and I, I just said, okay, I'm going to put this up. And he said, what you you just put articles up, and you don't need to clear it, okay, it, etc. So, I guess from that perspective, I don't want to say too much in case that we start losing that amount of leeway. But, but I think we do, we do. We do get quite a lot of leeway on the understanding that if something gets wrong, we're, we're, we, we take the bullet for it as well. Um, it recently reattained after about a decade's absence 
Estonia recently reattained fourth place in the Reporters Without Borders uh, index. Now, that's decided by about eight or nine people, I think. Um, and um, I, I, I don't, I, I couldn't say too much about the methodology, but but that's the case. It isn't. It, it, it has got got back up there, so it's certainly seen as somewhere where press freedoms are are um, are a given. Um, but again, I think this comes back a bit to the kind of style question. Uh, if you were to drill down, you'd find lots of things that make you think, well, okay. There's a very, uh, one thing I was run into is the distinction between media, news media and PR is perhaps not quite as clear as it could be. Um, and we do get, particularly because all our stuff's online, our news is all online and you can just change it and stuff. People seem to think that it's, it's, um, it's okay just to message and say, well, you, you have, please change this to this and so on. Um, when it's not something which, which uh, would be, you know, if I'd gone and said the capital of Latvia is Warsaw or something, and fair enough, I'm not talking about those kinds of things. So it is and it isn't really. Um, it's also very small and it's become more, more consolidated. And the other big, what had hampered the, the, Press Freedom's ranking before was um, one of the two big private media groups um, it, it sort of in the hands of a what, what elsewhere would be called an oligarch and some people don't really like that and, and that's sort of mo much of the regional uh, media and so on as part of that group. So the Postimates um, newspaper if you've seen that. I have indeed. <clears throat> Unfortunately uh, times eluded us but uh, I'm very grateful for what you've shown us of Estonia, a country that people perhaps don't think of as much as they should, certainly given its location now. And mm. uh, I look forward to speaking to you again in a number uh, of months to see what's going on. Definitely, there's lots of other, lots of other things going on, always things going on, yeah. Andrew White, thank you very much. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me.